actually a few months before them. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, right. So, for those of you who've uh, been around for at least the last few months, you'll know that we are uh, looking at a, a series uh, entitled Balance. Um, and we're, it's kind of, I guess, off the back of COVID, how our lives have been affected, uh, changed in many ways for, in, you know, in a negative way, it's made life so much more difficult. And then coming out of COVID, the whole thing of trying to reestablish how we did life before. I'm sure I'm not the only one that uh, at some point or other in the last four to six months, maybe went into a room where there were far too many people. You weren't used to it. It's like, oh, this is strange. So our lives have been changed, but also the world changes us as well. It, it, it can corrupt us. Maybe things we watch, things we hear, or things those around us do. So we, we get knocked out of balance very easily. And so the whole uh, idea of this uh, preaching series is to look at how we can bring uh, Christian biblical balance back to our lives. Now, as you can see, uh, we're starting this morning with a, a new topic, relationships, and it, it says part one. Uh, next week, Andrew's going to be doing part two. But uh, when I saw it, um, for those of you who know me, I'm very introverted. I, I struggle with making new relationships. And I thought, oh, this, someone set me up here. Last night, Helen, my wife, she said to me, so what are you preaching on tomorrow? I said, relationships. You know what? She laughed. <laughs> and then she said, well, we'll see what you bring out of that tomorrow then, won't we? <laughs> so you're all going to see what I'm going to bring out of this. Relationships. Yes, let's just pray. Lord, we're praying is part of our relationship with you. And Lord, we, we want to not only be uh, better at our human relationships, but actually better in our relationship with you as well. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd be guiding us this morning, speaking into our hearts, bringing maybe challenges, bringing transformation. Lord, what I say, it, I pray that it will be your words, not mine, that they hear. Amen. Okay. So we're going to start with a passage of Scripture, uh, 1 Timothy 5. Verses 1 and 2. Now, what we've got here is uh, Paul has written a letter to uh, Timothy, a, a younger man, um, someone he'd left in one of the churches to deal with issues. Um, and Paul's writing to him about how uh, he feels that relationships should be established. And he says this, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. And I think this is a, a great place to start when we start talking about relationships. Now, obviously, we've got to be careful when you start talking about how do I treat an older man as my father when sometimes some of us struggle with the relationships in our own close family. But generally speaking, if we consider all relationships 
in the light of this passage, we can start to, they can start, they can be a healthy relationship. It gives a, a broad framework of needing to love each other, to respect, to help and encourage those that we're in relationship with. All those things that we should be doing with our close family members. But what does it mean in practice? Where do we look for answers? What do we base relationships on? Okay, first one then. We base... We base our relationships on past experiences. It could be that we had a a brilliant, close relationship with a mother. Our mother was fantastic. She, She was always there for us, helping us, guiding us, correcting us. Maybe a close friend or even a sibling. We can look at those relationships in our past and say, they worked well. I want to take from them and put them into other relationships. But what happens when past relationships are poor or even toxic? Many of you know my father was rarely around when I was growing up. I didn't really have a good relationship with him. And even today, I struggle when I spend time with him, even when I phone him, it's not the best of relationships. But there are certain things I can take from that and still use, but there are other things I need to ignore and leave behind. My brother and I, he was four and a half years younger than me. We used to fight like cat and dog. It's not a great example, is it, to bring into relationships now? So we need to be careful when we're looking at our past experiences that we keep the good but reject the bad. Okay, next one. Observing others. So when we look around at people we know, hopefully we will see good examples of how to do relationship. Maybe they are able to demonstrate love really well and we can watch them and we can copy them. But we need to be cautious in just copying people, you know, outright because we're all different. As I mentioned at the start, I'm very introverted. There are those in the, in the room that are very extroverted. They will conduct their relationships differently It doesn't mean to say that they're necessarily right or wrong, but we need to be careful that we copy things from others that will work well with us. We need to learn what works best for us individually. How do we do relationships well? Okay, the third one then, the very obvious one, the Bible. God's word to us. But even in the Bible, we need to be careful when we look at relationships. A couple of examples from the Old Testament. Adam and Eve's two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain was very jealous of his brother Abel, and it 
Eventually, he killed him. Not a good example. Jacob took his brother Esau's birthright and blessing. He stole from him. He tricked him, took it away. Again, not good examples from the Bible. So not everything in the Bible is to be copied. But we could look at 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1, where, we t- where it says this. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. This is King David. Before he was king, he's been talking to the, the then king, King Saul, and Jonathan is Saul's son. And there is a relationship there where they, they love each other, that they are you know, willing to die for each other. This is a good example, a great place to find out about relationships. An even better example is Jesus. How he treated everyone, whether it was his disciples, how he treated women in a, in a society where women were actually put down and uh, virtually not even spoken to by men. Women, Jesus treated them very differently. How Jesus treated the sick, how he treated sinners, Jesus should always be our number one example. And then fourthly and finally, at the moment, other sources. We can read books. We can look on the internet. And I'm going to share from a couple of sources later on. We can listen to what other people tell us. You can even listen to people preaching about it. Good ways to learn how to do relationships well. And this morning I wanted to... uh, Look at four areas to help us in our relationships. There are many more, but I thought we'd concentrate on these four. Love, generosity, presence, and forgiveness. So we're going to look firstly then at love. And we're going to read a passage of Scripture or well, two passages of Scripture. The first one is this, John 15, 12 to 13. My command is this, and this is Jesus speaking, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's, and I believe this is the most important area of relationships to work through love, to love one another. The Bible tells us Jesus loved us so much that he laid down his life for us. He paid that ultimate sacrifice to die for our sins that we might be saved. His love for us held him to that cross. Love is being willing to make the ultimate sacrifice, to lay down one's life for a friend. Okay, moving on then to Matthew chapter 
22, verses 37 to 39. Jesus just been asked what the commandment, greatest commandments were to sum them up. And he says this, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So see, here Jesus is telling us how we should interact with God first. To love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's our starting point for the relationship with God. To love him. He loved us first. We are to love him with all our heart, soul and mind. And then Jesus goes on to say, then your other relationships, and many of you remember the, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan when Jesus asked, who is my neighbor? Anyone and everyone is your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the starting point for all relationships. Okay, moving on, then we go to generosity. Another passage of scripture, Luke 14, 12 to 14. Then Jesus said this, said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteousness. Now, there's nothing wrong with mutual generosity. We should still invite our friends and family around, but actually we should be looking to be generous to those who can't return to us. You know, they can't pay back. They, they can't invite us around for a meal. As Christians, we are called to be generous to all, especially those who can't return our generosity. Consider Christ's generosity on the cross. Can we repay him? No, we can't. But he gave his life for us on that cross. Such incredible generosity. So we are to love and we are to be generous in our relationships. Thirdly, then, we come to presence. And uh, you'll see up here, it says the key to real relationships by Brian Howard. It's a, a Christian guy in America. Um, I just want to read a few things that he's written down. Very, you know, I, I found quite encouraging. He says this. One of the most valuable things that I've learned in recent years is the importance of presence. Presence is important for healthy friendships, healthy marriages, and successful parenting. By presence, I mean showing up both physically and emotionally. Many of us are so concerned about getting things done that we are not at all present to the people around us. But the most important thing that you bring to any relationship is your presence. In counseling and coaching, I almost never hear a person say, my dad just didn't work enough, but I constantly hear people say, my dad was never there for me. 
The person saying this means either he was not there physically or that he was unavailable emotionally. So he gives us four points to consider. The first one, this. Arrange your life so that you are physically present. It might seem obvious, but friendships are built on time together. Quantity time produces quality time. You can't be present to your kids if you work 80 hours a week. Do you spend time a, do you spend a time a good amount? That's not quite right, but do you spend time a good amount together as a family? Are you physically present? I have given up several hobbies. This is uh, Brian Howard speaking. Several hobby, hobbies so that I can be physically present with my kids for the short few years that I will have with them. Number two, productivity is the enemy of presence. It's hard to be productive and present at the same time. I know that you have to mow the lawn, pay the bills, do the laundry, return thousands of emails and finish the basement. But realize that when you are doing these things, you are often not present. My wife, kids and friends are not normally concerned with how productive I am, but whether I am or not, I am there for them. Number three, put down your iPhone and show up emotionally. You could be sitting in the same room with a person and not be there for them at all. Technology can be the enemy of presence. Log off of Facebook, turn off the TV, shut off your iPhone, listen, ask questions, and make eye contact. Number four, deep friendships are built on long-term presence. It takes time to develop deep friendships. Being present in the life of a person for many years will bring depth and trust in a relationship. Be a committed friend over the long haul. Be there as a friend physically and emotionally through good times and bad. When hard times come, these kinds of friendship are immensely valuable. Okay, so that's presence, and we're going to move on then to forgiveness. A couple of passages of scripture. Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. So Jesus is hanging on the cross and he is speaking about the soldiers who have just crucified him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgiveness, so, so important. I think probably number two after love, forgiveness is so important in our relationships. Okay, next one. It wasn't another passage of scripture actually, but actually I want to read from a book. I'm sure many of you will know a lady called Corey Tenboom. She was uh, in a Nazi prisoner of war camp where she suffered so many atrocities, saw so many uh, friends, colleagues killed, even her own sister died in the camp. But she did not give up trusting in God. And uh, I want to... I woke up yesterday morning with this on my heart to read a little snippet from a book. Uh, it's called Tramp for the Lord. It says a little bit about a meeting that Corrie Tenboom had a few years after being released 
from the concentration camps. She was out preaching to the German nation at the time. Um, I felt that this whole thing of forgiveness and just reading from this book was important to one or two people here. Um, she says this, uh, it was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavy-set man in a grey overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I'd just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947. I'd come from Holland to, de to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favourite mental picture Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forg forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. And even though I cannot find it, uh, find a scripture for it, I believe God then places a sign out there saying, no fishing allowed. The solemn faces stared back at me, not, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence. In silence collected their wraps and silence left the room. And that's where I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of, dress, of dresses and shoes in the center of the room, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. The place was Ravensbrook, and the man who was making his way forward had been a guard, one of the most cruel guards. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he? One prisoner among those thousands of women. But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I'd like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And as I stood there, I, whose sins had again and again been forgiven and could not forgive, Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do. For I had to do it. I know that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience since the end of the war, I had, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives. 
no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still as I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even so, I realized it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit, as recorded in Romans 5.5, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Stirring read and it brings me to tears every time forgiveness is vital in our relationships absolutely vital and so then in conclusion three places that we look for stronger relationships firstly in the home it's the priority place to love to be generous to be present to forgive Your family will be so much stronger. It will grow as we look to put these things into practice. Secondly, in the church, and there's a passage there, Matthew 12, 46 to 50. It's the passage where Jesus is uh, speaking to a group, to his disciples and others, and his brother and mother come, and they want to speak to him. And he said, these are my mother and brother. The fact that those around us, especially in the church, they are our mother and our brother and our sister and our father. They're the ones we should be looking to treat with love, generosity, our presence, forgiveness, patience, all these things. For the church family to grow, these things are essential in our midst. And then finally, in our community, without our love, our generosity, our presence, our forgiveness. Without our relationship, how will they know it from Christ? Whether it's our friends, our work colleagues, those you meet on the train, on the bus, in the shops, they will not know Christ without us because we are called to show the love of Christ. We are called to demonstrate his generosity, to be his presence, and to demonstrate and reveal his forgiveness. Our calling is to go out into the world, forming relationships and revealing the salvation of Jesus. And I want to conclude our time, really, just spending a few minutes in minis- with a ministry time. I feel, it, I, I feel that maybe, or I believe, the Holy Spirit has challenged some of us here. And I just want to spend a few minutes praying, especially around the whole thing of forgiveness.
Maybe you have struggled with forgiving someone over the years. And I believe that God just wants to do a work in our hearts this morning to enable us to be uh, more like him in our relationships. So I'm going to pray and see where he leads us. Lord Jesus, you demonstrated such an incredible relationship to each one of us. You gave up heaven, came down to earth. You demonstrated your love on the cross, showing your generosity. You've poured out your spirit who is always with us. You forgive us of our, all our sins. And Lord, these are just some of the things we need to take into our relationships. And Lord, I want to pray especially for, for us that we would be a forgiving people, those who are able to forgive those who have damaged us, hurt us, upset us whether it's in our childhood, all those years in the past, or even just a few hours ago, Lord, help us to be those who forgive. And I want to pray for, for us as a church, especially for those who maybe have been struggling with forgiveness. Lord, help, help them to forgive. Holy Spirit, just draw near. Just as I read in that book, Lord, may they offer up that forgiveness to you, saying, I, I, I need your help, Lord. Help them to forgive the pains of the past, Lord, and bring them into a closer and stronger relationship with you. Lord, I pray, help us to be a church that reaches out to those around us, that reveals you, Lord Jesus, your love, your generosity, your presence, your forgiveness to all that we meet each and every day, Lord. Amen.